As we continue the Sermon on the Mount, gut check mountain, looking at those things that Jesus said that uh, we asked, did he really just say that? How is that applicable today? How can I live that out? Today we uh, continue this, this dialogue, this, these messages that Jesus had, and we find ourselves um, asking the question, why did he use those principles? How does that relate to us today? So we're about to see Jesus is talking about salt and light today. And we're going to unfold that, that message that he gave many years ago, which is still very, very, very applicable and challenging even today. But Jesus uses two ordinary things of the day, which he often did. Just picture him. He's on this mountain and disciples are gathered around and he looks down and he says, consider the salt. And he probably had a chunk of salt that he grabbed that was available from the Dead Sea that he carried with him because salt is something they use. And and he said, consider the light or look at the light or you are light. And he um, most likely looked up to the, the hilltop and saw a, 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 a city that was up on a hill. And Jesus often used literally things of the day. He was, a, he was a master teacher, just master teacher. He was a great illustrator. He used visual illustration. He used stories. And so when he talked, people were captured and, and even, like I said last week, Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, after he had finished all these messages, it said that they were amazed at what he had to say. Challenge, but amazed too. Today, he's speaking about the reality that you and I are supposed to go live where people are different than us, where we're supposed to be change agents. We're supposed to walk into these environments where there are people who don't know Jesus and where we're challenged to, to stand above where we're challenged to, to rub shoulders with them or bump into them and, and point them along the way. He wants us to be change agents. He wants us, literally, we're going to see where he says salt and light, cause that somehow when we get into this, this area, that somehow we rub shoulders with them and we push away evil and we bring Jesus to light. He wants us to be change agents, a catalyst for change. A catalyst, literally, is something that precipitates and that causes a change or an event. It's a substance that accelerates a chemical reaction, something that, that causes whatever is around it to look different than what it is. We are to be change agents. This week, my daughter Hannah is a freshman at Grace College, and on Wednesday, um, she came and was helping uh, to work even here with the junior high. So she drove up, and she's helping out some with junior high on Wednesday nights, and and uh, she said, Dad, I know she was driving Josh's uh, SUV. And I, I said, what's going on? She said, my dad, my car won't run. And so as any father would, he wants to fix, he wants to help. And so I asked her, well, what's wrong with your car? Why isn't it running? And so you go through these diagnostics that, you know, trying to see why it's not running. And so I asked her, tell me what happened. She said, well, I, I went to start it one day and it, it didn't start. So I got to jump. And once they jumped it, it, it moved and, and I drove away. So your mind goes and you think, maybe it's a battery, maybe it's an alternator, maybe it's a voltage regulator. And so she, she said, but we drove down the road, then we were coming back, we're driving along. She said, it just quit running. And I was and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. So I'm, trying, I'm taking the information and then trying to take the information I've collected through the years, just working on cars. And, and so my mind, you know, it's either a, a, a battery, it's either an alternator, and so... Yesterday afternoon, I went down to Winona Lake and uh, took Hannah or took Ann and uh, Isaiah with me after his cross country meet, and went in, checked on her car. Sure enough, turned the key, nothing. You know, there's no lights. The radio isn't even lit up. It's completely dead. 
And so I brought along with me some tools. I brought a, a battery charger with me, an extension cord. I brought, you know, uh, uh, my own battery for my Jeep, and I could swap it out. I'd get it back home. So I, I went in there, and I noticed that uh, the terminals, that there was corrosion on the positive side. It was positive and negative, and noticed that it was dirty. And, and so anyhow, I loosened up the bolts, took the battery out, took the battery that I brought, put it in, tightened everything up, and as soon as I opened the car door, you know, it was a ring. The, the door was ajar, and it, and it was ringing, bing, bing, bing. I realized, wow, it, so the battery, something's causing the battery to drain. So anyhow, I'm trying to diagnose and look at that, and it starts it up, and, and, and so tighten things up, and, and the older cars, Hannah's an older car, and, and some of the older cars, you can test and see if the alternator is working properly. And one of the ways that um, you can test it is while it's running, take the negative post off. And if the, if the car quits running, then there's a good chance the alternator's bad. So I took the negative post off, t- cable off while it was running, and the car continued to run. So it, it, it must be the battery. Anyhow, as I began to look at the vehicle, I realized there's a lot of corrosion on this, on this positive side. So I also had with me what is called a battery post um, a cleaner. And if you've ever walked to a battery, you notice there's some round posts, and, and you take this tool and you twist it, you turn it to clean the corrosion off of the terminal post, your positive and negative side. And if you take this top off, there's also a wire brush on the inside that allows you to go inside the, the connector to the cable and ream it out, scrub it, rub against it, be a catalyst to cause it to be clean. And so once I got home, I, you know, I, I scrubbed it all out and, and I did test the battery layer and found it only charged 50%, so it was a weak battery anyhow. And so I began to clean it off and scrub it off, throw some baking soda on it, just, just clean it up. And eventually I actually just cut it off and put another um, clamp on the end of it. But I used this tool to take away the corrosion that had built up. I, I cleaned the post to the battery because corrosion over time had built up. And if you've ever seen it, it gets green. And the other thing, you have to be careful you don't get it on yourself because you end up having these peppered holes all over you. So I had this tool. It was, it was something that I could rub against and clean. Jesus is going to tell us in this passage today that we're much like this battery post cable cleaner. We're supposed to rub up against the corrosion, rub up against the evil, rub up against the sin of the world. And by us rubbing elbows, we help stop the K that's happening around us. We retard the poison. We slow it down. We clean it up. And so we're going to see today that Jesus uses these two things. He uses salt and he uses light. And when we rub our elbows with people who are different than us, we clean up the darkness around us. The question is going to be throughout this message, are we the Christians who walk and take away the corrosion? And so Jesus uses these two incredible, ordinary things of the day. Just common things that we're familiar with even to this day. And he looks at his disciples and says, hey, you are salt. You are light. Rub your elbows, get mixed up, and scrub those around you. Clean up your community. Clean up your sports teams. Clean up your schools, your workplaces. Question is, are we doing that? Grab your Bibles, and we're going to take a look at this passage and turn to Matthew chapter 5. 
Matthew chapter 5. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand here in the main end, the link. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 13 to 16. First book of the New Testament, Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. Stand with me, please, and we'll read it together. Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. Let's read this. Would you read it with me, and we'll read it out loud. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Ready, read. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You have a seat. Thank you for reading. Jesus basically says this about salt. Salt helps us stop the decay. And we're going to see that. One of the the agents that we can be, the change agent, to help delay, to help stop the decay. This message is, is really a simple, simple conversation message that Jesus is having. Tons of people are gathered around him, but then he says something that's really significant, and and we don't want to gloss over this today. If you look at this passage, Jesus says this, you are, and it's active, it's it's, it's present tense. So he's looking at this group, he says, you are salt, you are salt. It's not a past tense, it's not a future tense, and it could be and will be if we stay on mission, but Jesus is saying, You are right now. You don't need to listen to another podcast. Listen, you have the living God inside of you. You don't need to study another book right now. You don't need to sign up for another class. You don't need to to watch another video. You don't need to take another test. Listen, right now, he says, you are. And he says the same thing to us today. You and I, we are, if we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, born again, we are, you are, salt. Fascinating, really. The the, the whole context is present. Not that, hey, one day you'll be, or there was a time that you were. You are right now. So Jesus is looking at this people, and he's telling them that, that, stop and consider this statement. The Messiah of the world is gathering around this, this master teacher on the hillside that morning, and he says to the group there, like I'll say today, this is what Jesus said. You have what it takes right now. You have what it takes you don't need to come back next Sunday and learn more. You have right now what it takes if you're born again, have a personal relationship with Jesus. Listen, you don't even need to watch this message again this week. You don't need to show up for a small group tonight. Right now, if the living God is inside of you, you have what it takes. Jesus is saying that same thing today. So for some of them, they understood this. Like, wow, he's saying like, that's what we are. And that's what I'm saying today. You are, you have what it takes. You are the salt of the earth. At first, it's like, well, that sounds kind of ordinary. Why didn't you say, like, you are the gold of the gold mines? I mean, doesn't that sound more important? Like, gold, salt. Why didn't he say, like, you are the gold of the gold mines? Maybe that would have piqued their attention. But what Jesus does is he takes something very ordinary. And what he's saying, this ordinary person, like you and me, can do something very spectacular because of the living God that lives in you. What's the big deal about salt, by the way? 
Why does he use salt as a catalyst for change? Salt has some primary uses. And so think about some of these uses of salt, by the way. First, salt is a seasoning. It's, it's, pick up any cookbook, by the way. Pick up any cookbook and, and count how many times, how many recipes for something that's especially sweet or something that's baked, something that's good. How often do you have to put a pinch of salt in it? Even cakes and pies will have a pinch of salt in it to make them taste better. Salt is something that seasons. Salt is also a preservative. It retards spoilage. It doesn't present the pro- or it doesn't prevent the process decay completely, but it slows it down. You stick meat out in the sun. And if it's there long enough, it'll spoil. But if you set meat out and it has salt on it, it'll slow down the spoiling of the meat. It retards the process of decay. If you go to third world, if you've been to third worlds, and if you walk into the markets of third worlds, it's not uncommon. If you go into Cambodia and the smell, the stench is horrible. But if you go there, you'll see meat, you'll see fresh fish, you'll see poultry, and you'll see salt sprinkled all over it. The reason it is because there's not refrigeration there. And so they just bring it out. That's what they have of the day. And they'll put salt on it. The reason they put salt on it, it stops it from spoiling. Jesus says, we are the salt. If we rub elbows in the world, we can stop the corrosion. We can delay the process of spoilage around us. Third, salt stings. We speak of sporing, or pouring salt on an open wound. We are called to be not the honey of the earth, but the salt of the earth. Salt stings on an open wound. In fact, if you're ever in a situation where there's an open flesh wound on your body and the only re- thing that you have left and there's no doctors and there's nothing can take place, often you see even during the Civil War and you'll see even during Jesus' time that they would throw salt on an open wound. The reason they would do it, it would save a person from gangrene. It, it slows down the process of spoilage. Fourth, salt gives us strength. You can't live without sodium in your diet. Without it, your body quickly weakens. That's the reasons, by the way, the Romans gave their soldiers salt. When they sent them out to war, they gave them some salt. They say, here, take this salt with you. They knew that putting salt on their vegetable would give them the needed strength. Here's something interesting, too. The word salad is related to the Latin word salt. Fifth, salt creates thirst. That's why they put it on potato chips, And pretzels. You ever try to eat some really, really, really good potato chips, like vinegar potato chips or something that really salt without drinking something? I was coming back one time from a a beach run to Ocean City, Maryland. There were four of us, and we were just on barely having any money. Four of my buddies were traveling to Ocean City, Maryland. And the way back, we barely had any money. So the money we had that was on it. So we walked into this convenience store, and the couple guys were there. We had been up all night, traveled through the night, was out in the sun all day. And, you know, we're at that point where you ever travel with people. It's like, man, I hate your guts. I hate your guts. And we know we hate each other's guts. You've probably never been there. You're a lot holier than I am. But anyhow, we're driving back. And, you know, you love these guys. But that moment, you just, you know, they smell bad. They're in your face. It's like, man, can I get rid? Can't get them out of the car. We stopped at this convenience store. And one of my, two of my friends that were there, one bought a Coca-Cola. One bought a bag of chips. So you see what's going to happen here. The only reason he bought a bag of chips, that's all he could afford. And the other guy he could afford was, was, was the Coke. 
and all the way there, they were at each other. So I'm driving down the road, I'm driving my car, and I know it's going to come a point he's going, I need. So he's back here just chomping on these chips. He gets thirsty. And my buddy, this side, who has the pop, he's not going to give this guy a drink. And so he says, hey, can I have a drink in your place? No, you're not flushing your chips down in my pop. You should have just bought a drink. Why do I want to buy a drink? So in the back, they're just at each other. Salt creates thirst. It's an ordinary change agent that makes something happen around us. In fact, Jesus said this ordinary thing that we are can cause something super and spectacular to happen. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, but during Jesus' time and during the Romans' time, that when they, they were actually paid, the Roman soldiers were paid in salt. So if they worked and, 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 and they, they, at the end of the week, whenever that pay comes, they didn't write them a check. They gave them salt. And so that's where we get the terminology, salt money. They were paid in salt. Salt was something that was valuable during this time. And so Jesus is using that. It stops the decay of fish. It stops the decay of meat. It keeps it from spoiling. So if you don't put your salt on meat or fish, it'll spoil, Jesus was saying. So Jesus is looking at these people, and they're probably like, Jesus, what does salt have to do with fish, and what do we have to do with salt, and how can we, like, how can we, how can, you want us to just wrap ourselves around people? What Jesus is saying is that we need to rub against the culture and society and keep it from decaying. So he looks at these people, these the followers, and he said, hey, you are, not next week, and you, you, you will be if you continue to stay on mission, and, but right now, you can put yourself in the culture around you, and you can stop the corrosion. You can take the brush and clean things up. You are a change agent. Then he says this. Look back in verse chapter 13, chapter 5 and verse 13. He says this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its what? saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Rhetorical question. But then he says this, it is no longer what? For what? Except to be thrown out and be what by men? Now, that's pretty hard hitting information, by the way. And I don't know if you've ever just kind of glossed over that. Jesus says this basically. He says, it can, if it loses its saltiness, it is no longer, in other words, our terminology would be, it's good for nothing. You are, he looked at these people and he's looking at us today. If you're not taking you and putting it in the subcultures of our world that are lost, if you're not running to environments that need Jesus and you're staying in your holy huddles, then you are good for nothing. I didn't say that, Jesus said that because you're not missional. Now think about it. How many times have you heard that phrase in your life? How many times have you spoken that phrase? Like, they are, you are, he is. That person is good for what? Nothing. That statement would level me. If Jesus looked down and he looked at my life and, and, or even at the Bema seat, if, if he said, here, Jim, let me tell, show you a period of your time from the time you were like 30 to 31 or time that you were in college where you just kind of went on the shelf because you had to learn and get knowledge. During that time, you were good for nothing because you weren't missional. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It doesn't mean that you're in a follow of Christ. It means you've lost your saltiness. It means that you're not pushing back. You're not taking the corrosion of the world and stopping it. You're good for nothing. 
By the way, too much is at stake for any Christian to place themselves on a shelf and be good for nothing. And no one said it would be easy to stop this change. But I would be devastated if Jesus said that to me. You will be thrown out, then he says. You will be thrown out and trampled by men. You know, this is fascinating. Could we have to get a little background here? During this time, during the ancient time of Jesus, a lot of the salt that they gathered was by the Dead Sea. And, and it wasn't as pure always as we have today. And so how can a salt, like if we took salt today, it really never loses its saltiness. But Jesus is saying this, this dead sea salt that was there, and he maybe had a chunk of it. It was full of all kinds of other minerals. And so literally said that, that it's no good. And if you're not using it to stop decay, then he said, we just throw it out on the ground. And so they did. They would take salt that lost its saltiness, and they would throw it out. And it would just become a path. It had stuff in it chemicals in it that would, that, that would stop vegetation growth, but it wasn't, didn't have the near the power effectiveness that regular salt had. And so they would make these paths. And literally, it would just be these roads and paths through, through the villages and communities. And people know, well, that was just bad salt. They threw it out. It lost its flavor. It lost, it's, not, it's flavorless. It lost its saltiness. And its only use is, is good for people just to walk on it. Now, think about that for a second. What Jesus is saying is this. Are we going to let the world walk all over us? Are there times in our lives when the only value that we're good for because we're not on mission is to be thrown out and let people's footprints fall all over us and have the world walk all over us when we're redeemed, blood-covered, sanctified, justified followers of Jesus Christ? Are we going to lay down and let the world walk all over? And Jesus said, when the salt loses its saltiness and you're not on mission, you're just a path for people to be trampled on. Well, let me explain. Here's what I, modern day. If you go to houses that you live in today, often out front, there's a mat out front. Some say, welcome. And when what you do literally is this is laid out so that people can wipe their feet on this mat. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, where you're at right now, because you're not on mission, the only value you have is to throw the salt out. Literally, think about this. This is the picture. And if someone asks you who you are, you can say, my name is Matt. This is the picture, what he's saying. This is what you, you're allowing yourself. You're letting the world walk all over you. This isn't the picture of redeemed, born again, follower of Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, hey, that's what happens if you're not on mission and you're not taking your light to dark places. You might as well be a welcome mat and say, hey, my name's Matt. Walk all over me. You know, if this was the case for us, this would level me if Jesus saw me as a welcome mat. And so he's looking at these disciples and he said, hey, there's more in you. You are the salt of, you're supposed to push back. You're not supposed to have the world walk all over you. He tells them that it'll cost them to be a disciple, but they have what it takes. By the way, Jesus goes even stronger talking about salt. Turn to Luke chapter 14. This is a fascinating passage right here. Jesus is talking about the cost of being a disciple, what it means to follow him, what it means to carry the cross. 
So he wraps up this section with this really hard-hitting truth. Look at Luke chapter 14 and verse 34. Jesus says this. Salt is what? But if it lose its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the what? Soil, nor for the what? It is what? He says, soil has value because you can place a seed in it and something will grow. Manure has value. It fertilizes something. He says this, if the salt or your salt loses its saltiness, it's neither fit for the soil nor fit for the manure power. Literally, it must be thrown out. Let me demonstrate if I can. This is really hard-hitting information for the disciples and even disciples as they heard this. Jesus says something pretty strong here. Let me see if I can demonstrate it to you. He is saying this to us today. Jesus is saying that if we don't go on mission, that literally we are no better off than this. Think about this for a second. If we're not on mission, that we're neither fit for the soil or the compost pile. We're neither fit for the manure. So literally, if you take some manure, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, if you're not on mission, if you as a redeemed follower of Christ aren't rubbing elbows, literally he's saying this. You're not fit. In fact, he said this. You are the salt. And what he's saying is this. Get away from my crap. My crap is more valuable than the salt. (laughs) And why? He's saying, get away. I want the crap. Now, let me me clarify this so you don't misquote me and take me out of context and we are redeemed, follow Jesus Christ. His righteousness is on us. But if we don't walk in the power and authority of Jesus Christ, the soil and the manure power that your, that, that, that your farmer spreads on the field, Jesus is saying, please get away from my crap. Now that's strong, 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 strong admonition there. The other question you got to ask is this. The way you live your life, is it on mission? Are you pushing back darkness? Or is this more valuable than the way you're living your life? By the way, what you do with salt is is, is important. Jesus is saying there's such a thing as flavorless salt. Let let me try to describe this for a second with, uh, with you today. They're, 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 the value in this too, by the way, this passage, all the yous are plural. You are the salt, you are the light. And if you look at that in the original, you will see that the you is plural, which means more. In other words, not just one grain. And so what he's saying is we need lots of grain. So if we take Christians who are the salt of the earth, he says that we can literally, all of us together, you are plural. We can push back darkness. We can push it back. But what he's saying is that there's this stuff out there called flavorless salt. It has no value. None at all. All it needs is to be trampled. And so we have 
Lots of that out there. And we have all these pals of flavorless salt. It's like, wow, look at all that salt. What purpose is this other than you and I just have a pal of stuff? Well, let me see your pal of stuff. Is it making a difference for the king? No, but look, look what I got. I got lots of. <laughs> Jesus is saying this, that your pal of stuff that's flavorless is of no value. He said, literally, oh, you know what I'm going to do with it? We might as well just throw it out, throw it out. And you know what? And let, we might as well throw it out and let the world walk all over you. Oh my goodness, grace community, followers of Christ. That's not how a redeemed, blood-bought servant of Jesus should be walking. We should walk in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. We should be bright lights. We should be pushing back darkness. We should stand up on our teams and say, not here, and not only us, but collectively, the you is plural. What would happen if guys and gals and, and husbands and wives and children stood up in their community and say, enough of this sin, enough of this, and just said, we will not let that happen. That's what Jesus is saying. You see, we can delay the decay. We can push it back. The question is, are you, are you good for nothing? This passage challenges me. You see, we have the ability to carry purity over filth in our dorms, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families. We have the ability to carry trust over lies. We have the ability to carry wisdom over ignorance. And we can do it collectively. It's much better to win as a team than it is as an individual. You're powerful. You're strong. You're a band of brothers and a band of sisters pushing back the darkness. It's time we sting a few people in our world. It's time we preserve a few factories. It's time we save a few schools. Would you agree? And Jesus is saying this 2,000 years ago. Nothing's changed, by the way. Then he moves on. It's like, whoa. I'm sure when they were sitting there, it just lit them up. It's like, wow. And so turn back to Matthew. Look at chapter 5. He doesn't stop there. Look at the other change agent. Look at verses 14 to 16. He said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise whom? Your father in heaven. Jesus looks at these same people and I suspect he, he could have just kind of, if it was at nighttime, he looked up on the hill. A lot of the city was up on the hill. If it was daytime, a lot of the homes during that time were built out of white limestone. So if it was up on the hill and the sun hit it, it gleamed. It's like, see how it stands out? And if it was at nighttime, a lot of the homes that were up on the hill, they would, they would light their lights and the lights of the lights that were in the rooms. Look, see that hill? See how it, the house? See how it stands out? And so Jesus uses ordinary things of the day to show them even your ordinary ability can do something spectacular. A city on a hill, he said, should not be hidden or cannot be hidden. Why? Because the lights should be on. Jesus is saying that you are, 
you are the light of the world. And everywhere you go, you should be seen. Now listen to me, pause. Not so that you get credit. Not so that you say, hey, look at me, look at my light. I got double A's, 50 of them. Not me, it's so that your father in heaven gets praise. Why in the world would we want to hide our light anyhow? Jesus is saying, that's kind of ludicrous, isn't it? Why have a light that's not being used? Why call it light when it's not on? Imagine walking into any house, literally. Imagine building a house, and the electrician comes in. He says, uh, hey, where would you like lights? And so you go and buy all the lights, and they go in the ceiling lights, and you have, you have lights above your, um, your, your, your counter in the kitchen. You have lights above your vanities. And so you walk in, and you see him hanging up lights. And you're like, wait, wait. Keep the boxes on them. So you walk into the front room, you say, here, here's the box with the light. And so he takes a long screw and runs it through the box. And people come out, hey, check out my lights. It's cardboard boxes. Why would you do that? Jesus is saying, that's silly. You're supposed to light up the room. Why would you walk into a home and everything is lit up with cardboard boxes? Seriously, consider that for a second. Why would you take a lamp like this and, and have it in a room why would this lamp, if we turned it on, why would we bring this in a room and say, hey, look at my light? <laughs> why, why, would you, why would you buy it from Menards or, or Lowe's or another light place? Why would you say, why would you put it on and just kind of leave a, a cardboard box? Why would you do that? Jesus is saying, the light is meant to shine, not keep the box on it. Why would anyone do that? Jesus is saying, that's crazy to do that. So he's looking at his disciples and saying, you're supposed to be light. And it's supposed to be on. Then he says, no one puts it under a bowl. By the way, in the ancient days, here's what that means. Light was a premium during this time. And so often what they would do, they would take some kind of oil, and often a, 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 a lamp oil, and they would put it in a bowl. And they would have this long wick that would be in this bowl. And it was really, really difficult to light. They didn't have like, hey, give me a pack of matches. Hey, give me a lighter. They didn't have those. And so it was really, really challenging to get a fire started. And so once you got the wick lit and the light was radiating, if you were going out to battle or if you were leaving, going shopping, or if you were going to, to work in your garden or you're leaving, you would take a bowl and literally put it over top of, of your light, leave enough area so oxygen would get in and it would dimly still be flickering so that you wouldn't have to restart it. And Jesus says, why would you put a bowl? Why would you hide it unless you don't want to be seen? And so Jesus saying, we must not be those kind of Christians who say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, that do not let their light be seen. Instead, put it on a lampstand so that it stands out and shines brightly. To live without light for a while causes depression. Sin can run rampant. Think about all the evil that happens under the auspice of by yourself all alone in the darkness. Darkness distorts reality. So we're supposed to run to the darkness, light it up, point people to Jesus so that they in turn don't, live in that darkness. 
Darkness does distort reality. I want to show you how it does it. Just recently, we, uh, Pastor Jeremy was out putting up a, a wall recently and, um, that was going to be used for a bonfire. And while he was putting it up, look at how darkness re- distorts reality. Now, can we get it up here too? Now, that's Pastor Jeremy. Now, look at his reflection. Doesn't look like Jane Jetson. <laughs> See the skirt? Darkness distorts reality. And Jesus is saying, so we need, that's a great, I mean, maybe I'm dating myself. You guys remember the Jetsons, don't you? This is like Jane Jetson. But, but 25 and under, like, who in a row is Jane Jetson? Well, just Google it and you'll see. It looked like Jane Jetson. But darkness distorts reality. And Jesus said, don't live as though a box is covering your light. Light shines best in darkness. Jesus had these hard conversations. Turn to John chapter 17. Look at John chapter 17. He goes on and, and he's about to leave and he's talking about being a light and, and, and praying for the future believers. And then he says this in John chapter 17. Look what Jesus says in John 17. Look at verse 11. Jesus said, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. What did he tell them to do? Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I did what to them? What does it say? Protected them and kept them what? Safe. By that name you gave me, Jesus. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has what? Hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My what? What's the word? Prayer is not that you what? Take them out of the world, but that you protect them from what? The evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the what? World. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus is saying this about this territory that we're supposed to go to. It's dangerous. But if we don't go there, then we're not going to stop the, 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 the barrage of sin. If we don't go there, then people aren't going to find the true source of the light, who's Jesus Christ. If we don't go there, then darkness will creep in and we will not push it back. If we don't go there, they won't be able to find their way because their light isn't pointing to Jesus. Then he says, don't take them out of the world, but protect them. And he prayed for our protection. That's what he expects from us. But many of us aren't prepared. In fact, we just refuse to go there. Have you ever had your lights go out in your home? Or maybe, maybe you're camping and, and, and it's dark. Or maybe you're, you're hunting and, and you're walking through and, it's, and you need a light. Or, or maybe power goes out in your home. Power's out in your home, and the first thing you do, where did I put that flashlight at? It's like, 
And so you, you work your way through the darkness and trying to find, and then you reach for that drawer and you're scrambling through all the stuff. And you, you think, I think I left it here. And you go in there and you grab it and you go to turn it on and it doesn't work. It's like, man, why wasn't I prepared? Why wasn't I ready? Why wasn't I prepared? And why, why, when's the last time I used my light? <laughs> Have you ever been with someone and it's been really, really dark, and you needed a light, and you knew that they'll always have a light. Jeff Tinsley's that kind of guy. If you're ever out in the woods with him, it's like, it's like you know Jeff's going to have a light. And so I've been in circles where I forgot my light, and I kind of turn around, and he goes, doesn't Scripture say that we're always to be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks? Maybe we need to be using this light so much that we know that we've just used it and the batteries are good and we're changing batteries. We're refilling it up. We're feeding ourselves. We're being juiced up every day in the presence of God. And so that when we get thrown into darkness, here, here's my light. Jesus is saying we need to be the light of the world. And he says, don't take them out of the world. He wants us to be surrounded by danger on every side. Now, let me back off here a little bit and say this. Now, we need some wisdom in this too. God does give us wisdom and James says to pray for wisdom. If you're a recovering alcoholic, it doesn't say, well, I'm going to the bar for a bar ministry tonight. Use some wisdom here. Or maybe if you've had a pass in another area, maybe, maybe you've had a gambling addiction, you say, I feel called to Vegas. No, you're probably not called to Vegas. Your flesh is saying, I need more of that. But you have to use some wisdom. But if you're not pushing back darkness, and Jesus said, then what's the use? What's the use? Get off of my crap. God wants you and me to live in an unsafe world so that we point the way to Jesus. And he gets the credit. And people are won over. I was recently talking to Ted uh, Rondeau. And... Uh, He's talking a lot about motorcycle gangs, and he was informing me, you know, motorcycle gangs like to wear patches on their jackets and on their backs and pins, and it's really neat to see the camaraderie that they have. And he said even, like, dark groups that, are, that aren't even, like, um, saved, these groups that get together that similar to groups like, you know, Hell's Angels or similar to them, they have a code that they live by. And he said even in some circles, they have a respect for Christian motorcycle clubs, and they see their patch, and they say, well, that group, they stand for something, and as long as they stand for that, I'm okay with that. And he was even telling us, to tell me recently, he was saying that, that even, even those groups similar, that, 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 the, the, the Hells Angels and similar to that, or groups similar to that, if they see a Christian club, if they're not living up to the, their, 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 their patch, they see the hypocrisy in them that they'll go to them and call them out and say, you shouldn't be wearing that patch. Oh, I pray that's not us. I pray that the world sees consistency and when all chaos and all hell breaks loose in their lives, they run to the light because we've built relationships with those in the dark. Jesus is praying for us and get in the world Spend time in your holy huddles to be equipped, but doggone it, get out of your holy huddles. We have so many Christian safe zones. 
Christian this and Christian that. Praise God for it. I mean, it refuels me, but we can't just stay there. Christian that business association, Christian retreat centers, Christian TV. We even have like called the God Channel. That's scary. Um, But if that's the only place we stay, what does that say about us? Are we afraid? I mean, you've heard me say this before, but you can go to Christian bookstores and buy Christian breath mints. I tell you, I've said this before, but it's worth repeating because it's like, so you eat this breath mint that has Jesus on it somehow. It makes you like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I see those things and I want to puke. It's like, it's like, have we watered down Jesus so much that somehow we have to sell the mints to his followers? Jesus has a lot to say about being a light. Turn to Revelation chapter two. Revelation chapter two. This is usually a time in the week I usually get about six packs in the mail. Revelation chapter two. Um, chapter two, and look at verse four and five. He's looking at this church. John is on the island of Patmos and he's talking about this church that was in love with Jesus, the church of Ephesus. They were known for their love. And then he says this in chapter two. In verse four, he said, yet I hold this against you, church of Ephesus. You have forsaken your first what? Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. You know, followed hard after me, shared your faith. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your what? Lampstand from its, and remove your lampstand from its place. Let me pause and say something here because I think it's important. There's a lot said about we should live our lives in a private way, that we don't let our left hand tell what our right hand should do. And we should do these acts of good deeds. This passage says that we should do them and they should shine brightly, so brightly that when someone sees it, it points them to Jesus. So there's this sense that we should be bright lights, not to bring credit to ourselves, not to make people look at man, but we should stand out in dark places, either vocally, visibly, in the way we live, so that someone says, he and she is different. There's something about them. The joy of the Lord just permeates their lives so much. What makes you tick? And when they ask you that question, you go, it's not me, it's him. And in turn, when you live out your faith in a bright way, it gives praise to our Father God. Now listen, listen to this. This is important. If you keep your faith private, you rob Jesus of praise. Your faith should never be a private thing only because someone needs to find their way to Christ. Aren't you glad when it's dark and someone hands you a light? A lot's been said today, but basically it comes down to this. We're supposed to be the lights of the world. We're supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be change agents. So that darkness is pushed back and people can find their way to Jesus. What would happen if 
we chose not to use our lights. What would happen if we didn't shine our lights? What would happen to our world if we refused to shine our lights?